Welcome to Stump Death and Taxes, and today I'm going to be talking about death, but today it's going to be fictional death. I'm talking about one of my favorite authors, Charles Dickens, and yes, of course, he had plenty of death in his novels. First off, I want to give a little shout out to the person who got me into Charles Dickens, like many people, you know, who had to go to regular institutional schooling, I was forced to read Charles Dickens novels. I'm trying to remember. It must have been great expectations, you know, like in middle school or high school. I was not very impressed. I did not like the characters. I thought Pip was a little bit of a whiny bitch. Um, <laughs> you know, teenagers are not very sympathetic to similar adolescent characters. I'm sorry, just like Catcher in the Rye. I'm like, Holden Caulfield was kind of a whiny bitch too. In any case, getting back to Dickens, when you're forced to read great literature at an age where you're not going to appreciate it, and then you're asked to write papers about it, to analyze it, and you are really not prepared to deal with it, it's unsurprising that you don't take to it and you really resent the author. Well, I had the good, great fortune to run into Professor Elliot Engel when I went to college. Now, he did not, I didn't take a class with him. Where I ran into him was in some kind of honors seminar thing that they had my freshman year for people who were in this certain scholarship program. And he gave various talks, you know, about authors, but the English language and other things. And he's very engaging. And he piqued my interest about Dickens, but not only Dickens, other authors as well. I ended up reading all of the novels by Jane Austen, for instance. I got interested in Jane Austen, you know, that there were Sense and Sensibility came out as a movie. I had read Pride and Prejudice and really enjoyed it, but like to try to get into Mansfield Park, for example, I mean, that's a hard that's a hard one to really get into. But if you have a good professor who can really pique your interest about these things. Anyway, Elliot Engel, great guy. I'm going to drop a link to his website on the Substack post that goes along with this podcast. In any case, I want to talk about Bleak House, which is actually his best novel, in my opinion. It's also his deadliest novel in terms of the number of named characters who die in the novel. And I'm going to name one character who doesn't die in the novel, who dies before the novel begins, and that's Tom Jarndyce. Actually, there's a Jarndyce who dies. The whole novel is centered around this court case, Jarndyce versus Jarndyce, um, which is about a will that needs to get settled. And actually, there will be a lot of spoilers in this podcast, but for crying out loud, <laughs> this novel is over 150 years old. If you're going to cry to me about spoiling a Charles Dickens novel, seriously, guys, get over it. In any case, uh, I am not going to tell you how that court case does resolve during the novel. So I will tell you that. I'm not going to tell you how it resolves. But it's Jarndyce versus Jarndyce. There is a Jarndyce who is named Tom Jarndyce who dies before the novel begins. He commits suicide, dies by suicide by gun. 
Um, and there's a Tom all alone's and it's not clear whether this Tom Jarndyce was associated with it. Okay. But that's before the novel begins. I'm going to go down the list of named characters who die. And what's interesting is about these causes of death. A lot of them are very relevant to some of the causes of death that I have been looking at in the pandemic years. So, First, I believe the first real uh, death that we have in the novel is of Nemo, who we later find out is Captain Hodden, who is Esther Summerson's father. If you don't, if you don't know this novel, you don't know these characters, that's fine. He dies of an overdose of opium. And if you have been reading my Mortality with Meep posts, you know that opioid overdoses have been a really, really bad problem even before the pandemic and got even worse. So you can see that even back then, these opium overdoses, and it was a problem in the novel itself, uh, they have an inquest. It's not clear whether Nemo or Captain Hodden, which we find out later, did this on purpose or if it was accidental. It's kind of the opinion of the doctor who comes in. It was probably accidental. Uh, Nemo was starving to death anyway. He had no money. He was doing bit work for Snagsby, um, you know, copying out legal documents by hand, but he didn't have enough work and essentially was slowly starving to death and was keeping notes about how much opium he was taking but of course as an opium addict he had to keep taking more and more to get the effect he od'd um jenny is a brickmaker's wife now she doesn't die but she had given birth and her newborn uh it's not stillborn but it was very young and we don't know what it dies of but it it dies and it, it probably was pretty sickly when born um the baby is not given a name, but Jenny is given a name uh, and her baby dies. So uh, newborn mortality was, of course, sky high during the Victorian era. This is not surprising. We do have a lot of infant and child mortality in Dickens novels and stories, which is not surprising. There is a character called Gridley who essentially wears out dealing with a lawsuit regarding a will, not Jarndyce versus Jarndyce. Uh, he's kind of middle-aged when he dies and he is just exhausted. Um, he does have money. It's not that he really dies from starvation as so many Dickens characters do, but he is has been just say high blood pressure. It, he just wears out physically and he's not the only character this occurs to in the novel. Uh, there is a bailiff, uh, Neckett, who takes people basically for debt. Uh, this is in the era of say debtor's prison. And he is the father of three small children. This is kind of a plot point. The oldest of the children becomes Esther Summerson's maid, uh, lady's maid. He kind of starves to death. We don't really get a lot of information on how he dies. Maybe it's disease. There is Joe. This is one of the very many children who, uh, urban children who 
die because they're poor and they die of disease. Joe the Crossing Sweeper, Joe spelled J-O, with no other name. Now, he has smallpox earlier in the novel, who he spreads it to Esther Summerson's maid, who then spreads it to Esther, and she ends up with a pockmarked face. That's a plot point in the novel. Later on, he does actually kind of survive the smallpox, but he does die of disease later. It's not clear if it's a continuation of smallpox or if he gets cholera or another disease. He does die of some disease within London itself. He does get um, a doctor, Alan Woodcourt, tries to treat him, but he is deprived. He doesn't he doesn't starve to death per se, but he is not well treated. He has not been cared for by adults for a very long time. He has been living on his own and basically has, I mean, he's homeless. He lives in doorways and the way he makes his money, this crossing sweeper, he basically sweeps up horse manure off the street for the various people who want to cross the street because what's the main form of transportation it's all horse-drawn carriages on horses etc and the horses leave their stuff everywhere on the street and of course men and women who want to keep their clothes their you know pant cuffs and the bottom of their skirts and their shoes somewhat clean would appreciate someone sweeping the road in front of them and they would pay these crossing sweepers he would have his corner and that's how he would get money they did not necessarily make a lot of money okay now i'm going to talk about the most famous death in bleak house and this is the one that was the most disputed so much so that dickens put in a preface to one of the editions and this is crook the rag and bottle man he dies by spontaneous combustion um this one is one of the, the creepiest chapters it's actually one of my favorite chapters in all of Dickens because there are two characters waiting to meet Crook at midnight and there are these greasy flakes in the air and of course it's bits of Crook um anyway yellow greasy it's it's very creepy when you know what it is and Dickens in the preface like goes down it's very scientifically proven that people of course spontaneous combustion but when you go down the list He's not trying to say this is a supernatural occurrence because when he gets the, the details and the details of Crook are very similar is that these people tend to basically have peripheral neuropathy. So they can't feel their feet and their fingers. You know, they're probably diabetic and that kind of thing. Okay. They're, they tend to be inveterate drunks. Okay. Sitting by an open fire. He's not saying that the fire occurs supernaturally the interesting bit is not that they catch on fire and die it's that they are completely consumed by the fire these people tend to be fat drunk <laughs> old can't feel anything insensate and near a fire they just you know the mystery is why does the body almost completely get consumed by the fire it's not so much that they catch on fire. 
it's pretty clear where the fire came from. It's the fire he's sitting next to. In any case, he dies by spontaneous combustion. Um, not a very common cause of death. There you go. Uh, the next one, Tulking Horn. This is one of the many murders in Dickens. There are several murders in Dickens novels, usually not more than one per novel. Um, not all of them have murders, of course, but there are several murders. It's a little bit of a mystery, but not for long. Tulking Horn, the lawyer, is killed by gun. I won't divulge who did it. That one I won't spoil. Um, but it's not a mystery for long because that's actually not a, a lot of the drama, though you do follow Inspector Bucket, basically. Uh, he gets to do a lot of stuff at the end of the novel, and Bucket is a very interesting character. He doesn't die, by the way. Uh, Bucket, that is. Uh, then there's Lady Deadlock. Yeah, this is a big spoiler. She is, essentially commits suicide. Um but the way she commits suicide is interesting. It's by exposure. The first time I read Bleak House, I didn't pay attention to the detail. I'm like, oh, come on. How did she die this way? Uh, you know, she's just walking around for, you know, about 24 hours from the house around, you know, goes to a town that's a little outside of London and then walks back to London and dies in front of the cemetery where her old lover, Captain Hodden, because Lady Dedlock is Esther Summerson's mother, spoiler, um, and collapses in front of the cemetery where he's buried and dies. And I'm like, oh, how dramatic. How can she die this way? Well, I didn't notice the detail that it's sleeting and snowing the entire time. She freezes to death, okay? She knows that she can die by the cold. And at the time, of course, I was living in North Carolina when I was reading this. I did not realize that people can die from exposure to cold, and quite a few people do. Um, actually, in the United States, far more people die due to exposure to cold than exposure to heat even in those years when we have heat waves and people who live in buildings like in Chicago or even New York City where they're built and they don't have AC in the top floors and they do roast, even those years, you still get more people dying from exposure to cold. Cold kills faster than heat, at least in the ranges we have currently. Who knows with climate change? In any case, she freezes to death. And then I believe this is the last major death is Richard Carstone. And like Gridley, he kind of wears out from the lawsuit. After Jarndyce versus Jarndyce concludes, and I'm not going to say how the lawsuit concludes, Richard Carstone, who was one of the parties in the lawsuit, basically collapses and dies because he has put all of his energy into this lawsuit. He has, he is pretty young. He's in his 20s, early 20s, and he has not eaten well. He has not lived well. Uh, he has not slept well. And you can run yourself down physically this way. So those are the ways of death in the dyingest of named characters Dickens novel there is, Bleak House. If you're a newbie to Dickens, I do recommend seeking out before you begin, a good lecture on Dickens. Elliot Engel is very good. As I said, I'll link his uh, website 
and he has various lectures that he is sells you know this is how he makes his money why not um but also if you have access to wondrium which i believe they have um you can often get these lectures via the library and there are streaming channels now that are uh, hosting a lot of those lectures though mainly the history lectures there are several of english literature um lecturers and of course for the english literature they do cover dickens you have to he is one of the top english language authors there is you've got shakespeare you've got dickens if you don't cover dickens shakespeare and chaucer well how can you call this an english literature class um you've got to cover those three at the very least and then there's some others that come below that um but if you don't cover dickens and shakespeare and chaucer um, you're a fraud. Anyway, that's my opinion. Um, <laughs> it's the Dickens way of death, and I may cover some others. The reason I did Bleak House this time is because I just did a reread of Bleak House. I've read all of the novels of Dickens. My favorites, yeah, Bleak House isn't my favorite. My favorite is Our Mutual Friend and then Martin Chuzzlewit, but Bleak House is the best of Dickens. Um, I wouldn't start there if you're a newbie. Um, it's of traditional Dickens length, which is long. Start with something like Great Expectations. That's a lot easier to start with. Um, in any case, enjoy. <laughs> uh, we'll see you next week. For Stump, Death and Taxes. <laughs>